this winery just sounds very different. They like to do things very differently, and uh, it sounds like a, just an experience in its own just going. So Yeah, I, I really like where we're at with Okanagan wines right now. I think that there's some that are just sticking to the classics and some that are really pushing the envelope. Pushing boundaries. Yeah, pushing boundaries. I think it's great. I think that if you want to stand out, you have to do it. And I am the kind of person that likes to... Um, try those mm-hmm. those things like with beers and with wines and and with food like yeah. you know the first person that created a, a fusion dish there you go yeah probably probably was laughed out of <laughs> until the restaurant they or whatever it. yeah and then someone tasted it and was like oh, oh get back here cilantro does taste good on asian cuisine or whatever <laughs> right so yeah, yeah. Welcome to Taste BC Radio, where we're going on a journey to explore restaurants, breweries, wineries, and just about anywhere where we can eat or drink local. I'm Jeff. And I'm Dan. And we are talking twice a month about local BC food and drink. If you want to join in on the conversation, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at TasteBC Radio, or email us at host at tastebcradio.ca. All right, tasters, let's get into it. Hey, Dan. Hey, Jeff. Uh, it's How's it kind of been a while, hasn't it? It's been a while since we've seen <laughs> each other. Yeah, it's the... Uh few terrible lonely days without you by my side oh stop (laughs) it but yes also i second that (laughs) yeah hopefully you haven't missed me too much since we left a Uh, great weekend it's Uh, it's been a little heartbreaking not gonna lie (laughs) on god (laughs) (laughs) trying to keep up with all the slang uh, is that slang? I don't. I don't. I. It's like Gen Z slang, yeah. Oh dear God! <laughs> I'm interested to see what Gen A slang is going to be like. It's going to be really complicated, and I'm going to fall behind, and I'm going to be the embarrassing dad who's all millennial slang. And oh man, <laughs> gonna be definitely be. Well, <laughs> when he when he grows up, I mean. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, I I've just like fully embraced the idea of being an embarrassing dad, but yeah. I have no intention of being an embarrassing uncle so my my sister's son uh my nephew mm-hmm. is uh little, like just over six months now yeah and i well seven months when this comes out and i'm extremely excited to just be like the cool uncle or as they say funkle um <laughs> and i think that uh i think that i'm extremely excited for it and i think i'm gonna do it perfectly because here's the thing about being an uncle versus a dad as an uncle you get to get all of the fun stuff without any of the the hard stuff. hundred percent. So you can take them out and get them all sugared up, and then it's like being a grandparent. Exactly. Uh, but but instead of having to have any responsibility as a grandparent for like babysitting and stuff, it's like oh, it's like if you're babysitting, it's like a one off, and it's like oh, it's like fun time at auntie and uncles, and stay <laughs> up late and watch movies, and yes. uh, be irresponsible and eat too much sugar and and stuff like that. Whereas if if you're a, a grandparent, you have to like do well by your kids yes for their kid yeah but but i don't i don't have any of that responsibility whatsoever so it's almost the expectation right that you're yeah exactly yeah you gotta spoil them and uh uh, lead them astray responsibly yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) love it (laughs) yeah oh man yeah yeah you're definitely the fun the funkle and be a great funkle yeah um i guess i'm never gonna get to watch your kid then Well, yeah, you can. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, you and your wife were over staying with us over the weekend last weekend. 
and yep. uh, you guys did awesome at the uh, at RVM. You ran the half, and my wife and your wife ran the AK, and y'all did so good. Yeah, and you were on baby duty. And I was on baby duty, which was great. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> he was so yeah. excited to be there, and uh, seeing his mom cross the finish line, it was great. It was a very yeah. amazing experience, and uh, they always do a really good job at RVM, and uh, it ended up being a beautiful day for you guys as well. It did, yeah. It ended up being perfect. I was worried it was going to be too hot or too rainy, and it was neither. It was perfect overcast. Yes. That's what we what that's what you runners love a good overcasty day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm actually I'm starting. I didn't think that I had any kind of soreness afterwards. I was a little stiff from running as you would be after the half marathon. Mm-hmm. And uh, but in the last two days or so, I've actually started to kind of feel the the pain. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Actually, I guess I I didn't get away with it as well as I thought yeah. I did. A little delayed. <laughs> that's on, soreness. Yeah, yeah, a little delayed onset, whatever it's called. Um. <laughs> But that's okay. I um, I'm I'm wanting to now that I can kind of put the road race behind me. I, I it's kind of reinvigorated me into training, and so I'm I'm wanting to get back out on the trails and yes. suffer through all the rain and snow in the winter mountains. But and it's uh, yeah, it's dirty, but it's a it's a such a nice view, and fewer people use the trails at that time, so it's even more serene. Yeah, and when the snow falls in the mountains um it it dampens all the sound and so when you're in a forest you can kind of hear things from afar you can hear things coming over whatever it's not like it's not super loud you get a lot of that but everything like the silence is mo- even more silent when there's a snow snow on the ground yeah. it's really really incredible oh that's um, so cool there's a couple times last season when i was up in the snow and it was kind of the tail end of the the winter and the snow was starting to melt and I was kind of trekking through the the side of Grouse Mountain, kind of, you know, 400 out of 500 meters up the mountain and no footprints in front of me behind or the only footprints behind me were my own. And every 30 seconds or so, there's just a big dumping of snow coming off one of the trees. <laughs> and it was just like it was so surreal because it would just kind of puff up everywhere. It was like a upside down tsunami of snow (laughs) yeah not like avalanche style but it was just like directly down and then it would kind of all like the little particles would kind of explode out from the landing and then you'd get kind of a snow shower and be like ah (laughs) Ah, it's cooling me off good 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 yeah yeah gives you a little burst yeah it's quite interesting cool yeah oh maybe i'll get out into the trails someday yeah i'm a fair weather (laughs) runner (laughs) i don't want to i don't want to have anything to do with snow and ice and mud yeah that's that's okay yeah it's (laughs) it's not the most pleasant but it's pretty easy to get used to once yeah, you do fair yeah. enough yeah so embarrassingly i i uh, found out this weekend that um creating an untapped group like a group of people on untapped only shows that to me so <laughs> so i realized that i can start putting people in the untapped group and no one can see it except for me so uh, it just is a way to kind of organize your feed yeah um so as a modification to our call to action if anybody wants to befriend us on untapped reach out and we'll we'll shoot you our profiles and you can see what we're drinking yes um unfortunately there's no way at this time to to make a group but if you go into group settings on your own you can plunk us in that and you can you can see us as taste bc but i can't do that for you unfortunately maybe untapped is listening and they can add that feature yeah well maybe if we get enough of a community we can have a discord and we can just kind of build our own so yes yeah the the taste bc blog beer blog yeah a taste bc app that is like untapped but for bc and it also includes wine and it also includes beer 
Uh, I like it. I don't have the skills for that, so we're going to have to be start raking in some serious coin if we're going to be doing that. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Patreon. Now, one thing I wanted to tell you about, uh, which I took everything in me not to tell you about when I saw you, because I wanted to wait to say it on the podcast, but have you ever heard of a smoothie sour? No. What is that? <laughs> so I went to a brewery called Structures Brewing in Bellingham recently, and they had something oh, on the menu of feature. Shame. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, they're close by. <laughs> <laughs> they're Northwest. Uh, and they had a smoothie sour, and it seems like it was like a rotating feature that they had. And what they do is they take a sour, and then they condition it on a huge amount of unfermented fruit. And then, I guess, mix it up or break it down into a kind of light smoothie consistency. So it has, like, more of that body. Hmm. And think about, like, not like your, like, breakfast smoothie that's super thick with protein powder and all that. But, like, if you were getting, like, a, you know, booster juice consistency kind of smoothie like a whatever it had a sweetness but it was a natural sweetness from the fruit but it was also offset by the sourness of the beer Hmm. and uh it it was like every week they would change the flavor profile of it or something so i'm not sure if they would have to kind of fully condition it on the fruit or if it was kind of like a they could do it in small batches on a keg or or cask or whatever um but it wasn't super carbonated i'm assuming from the conditioning Mm -hmm. and it went down so easy i wouldn't have expected there to be a high alcohol percentage Mm -hmm. i think it was the highest percentage on except for i think like a double ipa that they Uh had yeah the one that they had was a pineapple upside down cake was what it was called and it was pineapples cherries and fluff which i don't know what the fluff is um maybe like a lactose or something yeah, they were saying that they were having another one coming out the next week that was like a raspberry something. Um, yeah, I can't remember now, but I, it was absolutely incredible. And I think it was the best beer out of everything that I've tasted in Bellingham recently and the, the recent three trips I've been on. Wow. Yeah, it was incredible. And I kind of Googled it and I found this article and we'll put the we'll put it in the um, show notes mm-hmm. link to it. And the article is titled, What on Earth is a Smoothie Sour Beer? (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. And it starts off with, uh, first there was a fruited sour beer, then the milkshake IPA. Today, we greet the smoothie sour with open, eager arms. So, yeah, basically, uh, Mark Stock wrote this article um, for a publication called The Manual. Uh, in the food and drink section. Anyway, it, it follows kind of like the history of the smoothie sour and what happened. And one of the quotes is a brewer saying, uh, there's a bel- balancing act too with so many ingredients involved. And because much of it is new, there's no real reference point. Mm-hmm. The processing of weird ingredients for the first time is always challenging as well. There are no instruction manuals on the internet of how to add 200 pounds of no-bake cheesecake mix to a beer. So you end up going through some trial and error. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so nice. it's a really great read. Um, yeah. It's a very super interesting thing. I don't think it's going to stick around super long in the whole beer lexicon. But, right. you know, if if some breweries are trying it out and you get a cool experience out of it, and maybe once in a while in the summertime, uh, a brewery will pop one or two of these out. I think it's just a really fun yeah. treat to, to mix things up a little bit. Absolutely. So, yeah. Variety is the spice of life, right? So that's yeah, a exactly. really cool, cool experience. I'm curious yeah. whether any BC breweries will take notice of that, considering how close. Bellingham yeah, I, 
I haven't found any necessarily in BC, but I didn't look too, too hard. Um, however, I have found one out of Ontario that's doing it. Um, oh. And so maybe it's spreading a little bit. Well, there you go. Amazing. Amazing indeed. Well, enough about that. We are talking about wine today. Oh, back to the vino. Yeah, it's been a minute. It has, actually. I was looking through our previous episode. We haven't talked about wine in, like, I think it was, like, eight or nine episodes. <laughs> yeah. Well, the tough part is, is it's not really wine. Well, I guess it is. It's okay, but it's been hard to get out to the wineries, and there's there's not as many selections down in the areas where we're living so Mm -hmm. it has to be it's a bit of a trip for us and a bit of a treat right yeah yeah and just with our busy lives it's been a bit harder but i am all for it very excited to talk about my winery and i'm very excited to hear about yours ah me too so the winery that i want to talk to you about is one of our favorites in the okanagan and the oliver soyuz region which is like wine capital of canada uh and definitely definitely wine capital of bc and just the valley and the soil and the composition that we've talked about in the past makes us the perfect spot for making delicious wines and this uh, particular uh, winery is right up there with the best best of the best um so the winery i want to talk to you about is barche bros oh yeah and so this is a very much a like a family run uh winery and it has a really really interesting backstory to it and a really fun one um like the name of the uh um winery insinuates uh the owners and founders and owners are Don and Michael Barchier, who are brothers, so hence Barchier bros. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they planted their very first vineyard in 2009 on uh, Michael's uh, on Michael's family's uh, sorry Michael's wife's family's land uh, in Somerville, which I think is really interesting. So um, when they they both they were both born born and raised in the Okanagan Valley and uh they took kind of different career paths that kind of brought them both back together uh in the future so uh don was an accountant uh by trade and michael was the winemaker and uh, michael himself actually became quite a well-known winemaker in the okanagan valley uh in a soyuz particularly he was uh, known for making extremely uh tasty and well-crafted wines uh but uh, through his own words, he says he didn't really have the business or financial acumen to to really build uh, a business from the ground up, despite his uh, obvious talent for winemaking. So that's where Don came in, uh, Michael's brother, who was an accountant by trade and who had been uh, working with businesses uh, uh, elsewhere in the province. Um, and then, but it had always been kind of Michael's like number one fan, no matter which winery he worked for, he was always kind of the most well-known kind of return customer. So it was pretty, pretty cool. Uh, and then they just found a, a time to get together and plant their first vineyard. And then they built their, uh, the winery itself in 2015, uh, where you see it today, their philosophy or Michael's specifically, uh, Michael's philosophy is that he plant, he doesn't, uh, make the wine he grows it and he really concentrates on what which grapes will do best in the climate that they find themselves in so um rather than like taking a risk of uh maybe these grapes will do well and this maybe not he really like takes the composition of the soil and the climate into account and plants based on that so he gets the best he knows that this these grapes specifically will do the best in the climate that they find themselves in so 
hence incredibly delicious wine as a result. Their uh, tasting room itself is a, a very modern, uh, lovely uh, tasting room on the Black Sage Bench portion of their vineyard. So they have two places where they grow their grapes, one in Somerville, which is the, the first one that they had, which is a smaller one, and then the other one on Black Sage Bench. And Black Sage Bench is uh, just north of the uh, river in Asoyuz, so you have uh, uh, Asoyuz Lake, and then there's a river that connects Asoyuz and Oliver, and the region above uh, uh, or sorry, north of that river is called the Black Sage Bench. Great. Uh, it's a, it is a wonderful, it's, it's not kind of up in the hill. It's kind of the lower portion of it, but you still get a really beautiful view of, uh, the Southern part of their vineyard. So you see all the wine, uh, the grapevines growing down towards the, uh, the river, and then you have this really beautiful golden and green mountain uh, that Soyuz is so well known for, and there's b- bits of red in there as just a beautiful landscape for you to just enjoy sitting on their concrete patio uh, and enjoy some uh, some delicious wine. Um, when my, my my wife and I have been there a few times, and every time we're there, we're always blown away by how passionate the people that are serving the wines are. They're always so knowledgeable, so friendly, so willing to tell us like the stories behind the wines and why their names were why they chose the names that they did for specific wines. One of their one of their uh, red wines is called uh, the Goal, and it uh, represents the 1955 world champion Penticton V's, who I guess was uh, was the hockey team back then and ended up being world champion. I'm not sure the entire backstory, but they kind of oh, take funny. take uh, stories from their past in their region and uh, honor them through uh, uh, different bottles of wine. So. Uh, it's very cool, um, and uh, and um, just a really nice touch that they add um, parts of the community to the names of their wine as well. So not all of them have a, that backstory, uh, but they uh, will reserve these names for their special uh, special varietals for the year. So very very cool, amazing. The wine itself is very beautiful. Uh, each one is very clean and crisp, and you can tell that a lot of work and passion has been put into it, and very little like sulfur taste or sulfite taste to it. So the the tasting notes distinctly reflect what you're tasting in the in their wines. They also have, which is kind of different for the Okanagan region, they have quite a few uh, whites, which uh, the Okanagan region really isn't known specifically for. Um, right. Uh, but they have some wonderfully uh crafted white wines that have done very well in terms of award-winning caliber uh so they most recently their 2022 riesling gruner weltliner won gold medal at the national wine awards with and it scored a 91 points and then their chardonnay uh also in 2022 won a silver medal with 90 points at the national wine awards of canada awesome amazing yeah and then their simillion it just keeps going uh simillion uh white won silver medal uh for the 2022 and also their brute sparkling wine won gold medal with 92 points at the national wine tasting awards and finally (laughs) their 2022 rosé won bronze this year so uh clearly they're doing something right and in a climate that isn't isn't what like really really that known for their white so uh, hats off to barchier bros for uh making some incredible white wines in a region that isn't quite known for for that so uh they're what yeah. yeah they're red wines they love their uh the red wine grapes their syrah is absolutely delicious 
Um, Syrah for us, uh, like the Okanagan was the first time we were able to actually try a Syrah uh, uh, wine, and we have absolutely fallen in love with the complexity and the boldness of it, and um, it is just a wonderful experience. Yeah, I really enjoy Syrah from that region. It's just like the perfect climate for it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's amazing how differently that grows compared to the same grape in Australia and New Zealand as a Shiraz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is really interesting. I'd have to, I've been meaning to like have a Syrah side by side with the Shiraz and see like what the true differences are. Because I think there is quite, they're kind of a similar grape from my understanding, but not exactly the same. Yeah, I believe they're the same varietal. It's just kind of Grown like Pinot Gris versus Pinot Grigio. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's just kind of the region that matters more. Mm-hmm. But I could be wrong on that. Hmm. Yeah, I'll do some research. <laughs> uh, their Grenache Syrah actually won bronze medal at the National uh, Wine Awards uh, for their 2021 varietal. So, again, very, very nicely done. They've just released recently a really interesting idea. So they found themselves with a lot of leftover grapes, and they didn't really know what to do with them. They didn't want to waste uh, waste the grapes. So they had this awesome idea to can it, and uh, to uh, so they'll do like a second pressing of the grape um, uh, for the for different grape varietals, and then they uh, carbonated it and canned it. So they call it the Piquette series. So they have a Piquette Rosé and a Piquette White. And um, I haven't actually tried them. I think this is a bit newer for them. And uh, they're, it's a much lower alcohol percentage. It's like 4.2% because it's a second pressing. So the sugars are much lower. Um, right. And they added just a little bit of carbonation. So a nice little crisp um, kind of wine spritzer, if you will. So I'll have to look out for cool. that. I'm not sure if they... I haven't seen it in uh, wine or, or, sorry, liquor stores. I don't know. Have you? No, definitely not. No. Hmm. Interesting. So, But I also haven't been looking for it. So. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm going to keep an eye out for it, and I'll let you know. Maybe next episode I'll have something I tasted the week before. Yeah, you'll have to go take a look. Uh, definitely. Um, so that's kind of all I've got for you. They, uh, in, um, I don't believe they serve food there, but you're able, they often will have like local, uh, musicians come playing on the patio and stuff. So you can enjoy, uh, some jazz music from what I've heard. They like to have, uh, jazz bands come out and play like small quartets or whatever. And, uh, uh, just adding to the beautiful ambiance that they've created and, uh, on their winery. Uh, so if you find yourself in the Oliver or Soyuz region and you're looking for some amazing wine to try and uh, some wonderful people to, to talk wine with, uh, Barche Bros is found at 4821 Ryegrass Road in Oliver. Awesome. Just down the road from Silver Sage, which you talked about recently. Exactly. Too. It's like the, it's next door to Silver Sage, I think. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> well, Jeff, what have you been tasting this week? Well... It's spooky season, so you better believe I'm bringing you with this pumpkin-flavored beer. (laughs) And I've got one from a brewery out in Surrey called Russell Brewing, and they have this beer called Pumpkin Pie Milkshake IPA. And I actually bought it when I was with you, and then we just didn't have time to drink it, so we drank it when we got home instead. Dang. I wish I was, uh, I wish, uh, I wish I was there. (laughs) Now, before I get into the actual taste of the beer, I want to read you what it says on the side of this can. Excellent. Rolling out the dough, scraping out countless amounts of pumpkin guts, and finding the perfect combination of spices sounds fun, right? 
If you're feeling lazy and all that makes you cringe, this milkshake IPA is for you. A smooth, hazy IPA with a blend of cinnamon, ginger, nutmeg, clove, and the addition of lactose comes together to create a no-effort-needed pie in a can. Now, (laughs) like most things that are pumpkin-spiced, there's actually no pumpkin flavor in this what it's just all the spices that you would get from the from the but oh fair enough it does have the natural sweetness from the ipa and it does have uh all of the flavorings to kind of hit that mark but what's really interesting i've found about this is as a hazy ipa it had a bit more of that uh that oomph to it that like kind of bitterness from the hops and the the floralness uh whereas uh, we kind of talked about recently in the last episode, um, a lot of pumpkin beers will either be kind of stouts or porters, mm-hmm. or they'll be lagers and quite light. I prefer the lighter ones because they're easier to drink. I'm not a super huge porter guy. I kind of I'll have one or two in the right time of my or in the right mindset in the right time of season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do prefer the lighter ones. Um, and this one was kind of that really cool balance in between. And you know that I love a hazy IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be fair, I actually didn't even know this was hazy when I bought it because it doesn't say anything about hazy. It says milkshake IPA, which I guess I, if I was a smarter man, I would have figured that out. Um, <laughs> but at 5.5% and 20 IBU, which is extraordinarily low for an That's IPA. Very low. Wow. Yeah. Um, I guess it comes down to the brewing technique to kind of put it into that category. But very very tasty you'd still get a little bit of that floralness from the hops you get a really well balanced beer goes down super super smooth um you get all those flavors from the spices and the ginger and um it's it it is truly very reminiscent of a pumpkin pie it doesn't have the heaviness of a pumpkin pie that you would expect from like all the sugar and whipped cream and all that Mm -hmm. stuff but it it is really it was really refreshing uh for one um but very nice on a a crisp fall day so what i what i really liked about this russell brewing pumpkin pie milkshake ipa was i felt it was the kind of beer that i could sit on my patio in a sweater with you know a blanket around my waist kind of keeping my toesies warm at the at the fire uh, like in the evening as the sun's going down um and just crushing these oh sounds you know delightful I mean? yeah super super good rated it quite highly on on top i think a 4.25 or 4.5 it's quite high for you yeah for you it's like <laughs> it's funny because for you it's hard to get below four and for me it's hard to get above four so that's yeah. quite saying quite a lot for me um but yeah i would i would drink a lot of these so nice. i'm gonna keep my eye out for them uh for the rest of the season curious if we i feel like we got that i think we have one in the fridge actually we haven't uh yeah i was one. hoping you would try it but if you haven't you'll have to let me know once you do yeah. because yeah i think i think it's 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 really really good it's it's not it's so well balanced between a bunch of different options that mm. it's um sorry a bunch of different kind of flavor profiles it's not confused at all it's but it's very smooth it's not so light like a lager or pilsner with a bit of pumpkin in it and it's not so heavy like a stout um that it really really hit the mark and they did such a great job i don't know if this is the first iteration of it but it's the first time i've seen it and tried it and uh yeah they knocked it out of the park oh i recognize the can that you're holding up so i feel like this is not gonna Mm -hmm. last very long in the fridge anymore (laughs) yeah well we got it from the liquor store close to your place, so you know where to get it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to find out where to... Although, 
they're not too too far away from me. Probably like a twenty oh, minute they're drive. Probably so. everywhere and uh, on the mainland. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about the brewery itself. Oh, I see. yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's fine. like central. It's like central Surrey. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's not too far from me then. Yeah. All right. What about you? What have you been tasting? Well, I would like to take you on a historical adventure. Um, All right. I did a little I'm bit of research it. behind this and found a little bit of controversy uh, because there's oh. actually a bit of uh, a disagreement between British Columbians and Albertans on who created the shaft. So, little backstory: uh, when uh, yourself and your wife were over, and after we were done, you guys were done the half marathon and the AK, we uh, decided to head over to Moon Underwater uh, for we lunch sure and some beers, and then we finished off with some dessert, which ended up being shaft flights in their distillery, which were absolutely delightful, and I can't wait to talk about all of them. <laughs> so, but a little I, bit. Uh, as a quick disclaimer i knew that this was coming because i tried to talk about it at first and i was told not to talk about it <laughs> so i have a lot to say about this yes. uh in terms of what i thought as well so i'm very excited to hear what you have to say but please do take it away absolutely so um traditionally a shaft cocktail is made with vodka a coffee liqueur and fresh fresh espresso or cold brew now a lot of people right. will add like a cream liqueur or whole milk milk or oat milk nowadays to do something a little different but that's kind of your base uh the vodka the coffee liqueur and espresso and or cold brew so that is the essence of a shaft cocktail um, yeah and to people that don't know what it is i usually explain it as um very similar to an espresso martini yes exactly so there is a bit of debate between the two provinces on uh, who created the shaft. Uh, Cal- uh, many people in Alberta believe it was a, uh, a bartender from Calgary uh, named Mark Smith who made it in his living room in Calgary. However, ab- many British Columbians truly believe that it was ma- invented by a bartender at Hugo's Bar in Strathcona Hotel. Now, mm-hmm. either w- both agree that it became much more popular in Victoria. Uh, BC uh, over the years, and uh, it has put this cocktail on the map for deliciousness. So I am going with it that it's been created in BC, so that I can talk about it on this podcast. <laughs> right, <laughs> and that seems fair to me. Yes, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> um, we are the official source, I uh, uh, and if anybody um, wants to fight us on that, bring it on. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so people often, and my question was, why was it called a shaft cocktail? Or sorry, why is it called right. a shaft? And apparently right. it is a nod to the fictional detective John Shaft from the 1971 cult movie Shaft. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Um, and apparently it was called that because it's tall, dark, and cool, just like Mr. John Shaft. So there you go. <laughs> and uh, All right. why did it become so iconic? Well, it was often used as like your go-to cocktail to start your night because of the coffee in it. It would be, so you'd have some booze in it and then the coffee and it would kind of kickstart uh, your night and kind of keep it going until the wee hours of the morning. So amazing. Yeah, there you go. So moving on, when we had our shaft flight at Moon Underwater, um, who on their, on the distillery side of things, um, they create their own uh, like coffee liqueur and their own uh, vodka and then they create their own shafts and they have different flavors depending on the time of the year and when we right. were there uh, they had their flight consistent of uh, consisted of pumpkin spice caramel chai latte raspberry chocolate and white chocolate marshmallow 
And so delicious, each of them delicious in their own way. Um, I think if I had to pick my favorite, uh, it was uh, the pumpkin spice. It was absolutely delicious. Uh, the coffee and the pumpkin flavoring, uh, the kind of nutmeg and cinnamon just mixed so wonderfully together. Um, yeah. My a close second would have been raspberry chocolate. I found the raspberry to be really, really delicious and refreshing. And uh, then it was uh, followed by the caramel chai latte and white chocolate marshmallow. Um, yeah. All of them yeah, the, were very the, tasty, uh, though. The white chocolate chai was a nice kind of homage to the shaft because as a chai instead of espresso or whatever, it was, I don't know if there still was cold brew in it, but Mm -hmm. it was kind of like that nice flavor profile. Again, kind of thinking of like the warming spices of the, of the fall. Mm -hmm. Uh, That one was, uh, yeah, very high honorable mention for me as well. Absolutely. Well, and what was your favorite? Did we have the same one? Um, I think my favorite was the raspberry chocolate. Oh, look at you. Picking a different one for me. Not quite a basic B as you are. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's a good point. Nobody is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's what I've been tasting. It's uh, It was a wonderful experience surrounded by wonderful people at the same time. So it was a very pleasant experience. And I will definitely be going back to see what uh, the next fl- flavors of flights will be in the near future. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious if they change all of them at the same time or just one at a time or or mm-hmm. kind of how they navigate that and how frequently they change it. Yeah, I'm interested too. So I'll keep it I'll keep an eye out for you. Oh, and it should be noted you can get the feature shaft at the Moon Underwater Brewery, but you can't get the flights there. You can Correct. only get the flights in the actual distillery portion. Yes. Yeah. And we found that yeah. out while while we were there. Yeah. And and don't do what we did and order four shaft flights and put the poor bartender in misery. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We're terrible people. <laughs> yeah. But Delicious, though. (laughs) Absolutely. Well worth it. All right, Jeff, which winery are you talking about today? I am talking about the Beaumont Family Estate Winery in West Kelowna. Ooh, Um, They are a small little winery. They are completely organic, certified since year one, um, which was 1995, certified organic. And they were started by Alex and Louise Lubchinsky. Mm. So Louise is from a small town called Beaumont in Alberta. And when she and her husband moved to Kelowna, they decided to buy a kind of burnt out, run down cherry orchard Mm. uh, and decided to pursue their passion to making wine. So they got certification to grow organic grapes starting immediately in 1995. When they decided to start this, they actually had uh, two children, Scott and Alana. And they were three and five at the time. I'm not sure which one was which. And they just kind of felt good about bringing up their kids on a farm. And they thought it would be good for them. And uh, it would be good for their own experiences. They planted 12 acres in their vineyard. They planted Gortzmeiner, Pinot Blanc, Gamay Noir, and Pinot Noir, which are all well known to grow very well on the south-facing slopes in Kelowna. And then in 98, they planted... Uh, an additional 11.5 acres um, on what used to be an apple tree orchard. And Mm -hmm. they planted uh, some more Pinot Gris and Gamay uh, grapes. And then in 2000, they were able to plant another 12 acres of Pinot Noir, uh, two different varieties of Pinot Noir in some really great soil. And then where they, the location that they actually planted in the second one, the one in 1998, that's where the, the winery is now. And so it's kind of just up the hill wow. from Volcanic Hills and Mount Boucherie around the corner from Quailsgate. 
So if you're familiar mm-hmm. with the area there. Yes. Uh, and what's really cool about them is since 95, when they've been running this farm, uh, it's still the same family running it. And at the age of 19, Alana, the daughter, took over as the winemaker. Wow. And she learned all about it by doing two two kind of off-seasons. Sorry, three off-seasons, two of them in Australia and one in New Zealand, learning how to do the winemaking. Mm-hmm. But she's incredibly creative. And I'll talk about it a little bit more when we talk about the actual wines. But she's some one of the first ones to do some really experimental things with their wines. Mm-hmm. In talking to the people running the vineyards, um, sometimes family members, sometimes friends that were just kind of doing favors... Uh, when we went in for tastings, uh, they would tell us about how they were growing grapes primarily for others, and then finally decided, well, we have some grapes we want to kind of do some experiments on our own. And so, um, they're one of the only organic wineries in Okan- in the Okanagan, and um, they produced their first estate-grown vintage in 2007. Hmm. So, 12 years after they actually established the vineyards, it takes three years to grow the grapes continue on eventually anyway they established their first gamay noir i believe it was uh was their first kind of fully estate grown um vintage now beaumont of course is a tribute to where louise is from in edmonton the city of beaumont and it's actually makes it quite difficult to research much about this place because there are multiple wineries with the name beaumont in it as is the french name for beautiful mountain and there's at least three places including this one across the world i think four actually that have the name beaumont in it so when i type in beaumont winery (laughs) it's not the i get a quite an assortment of results however i've been able to pare it down to some more interesting uh things about about the place so um one of the things i really like about beaumont is it stayed very small uh it hasn't grown too big there's not a huge tasting room when you walk into the tasting room it is uh where they age the wines it's got all the steel vats there it's got the casks it's got everything um you're using the same bathroom as the employees <laughs> uh sometimes they'll have a little band set up in there and it's got terrible acoustics because it's a warehouse not a not a concert venue um but alex uh the dad of the family uh is also a musician and sometimes will play there with some of his friends and sometimes he'll bring in other people to play as well just to kind of keep things interesting and they just seem so passionate about it and really love what they're doing so much so that sometimes they maybe take some risks with their wines that other places wouldn't do because nobody's done it before or, or no one's it's not popular in the in the country or in the in the you know Okanagan scene and mm-hmm. and some of those I'll tell you about which is so the first time we went there there was what they called a chilled red mm-hmm. and it was a red wine but it was made like a white wine so instead of leaving it on the skins and on the and on the stems and everything they actually peeled it off and immediately processed it without the skins and so it was very, very light in color. It was still red, but it was very light in color. Not not as light as a rosé, darker than a rosé. But it was um, it, it was it had the the body of a red, but it was designed to be served like a white and chilled like a white. So mm. they played around with that, and they said, "Okay, well, how are we going to serve this?" And like, well, let's serve it like a white. And so they they did that. Very cool experience. It's very wow. kind of mind-blowing. And I think that, you know, temperature plays such a key aspect in the way that we understand wine. If I were to be blindfolded and taste test it, I don't know if I would have been able to pick out that it was a red. No, I'm not a master sommelier, but I still think that's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Now they're making a white Pinot Noir. And that is <laughs> a 
very similar concept. So it's Pinot Noir made like uh, a white wine. Yeah. Where they have um, they have their estate Pinot Noir grapes, and it's it's this really beautiful kind of rose color. Hmm. Uh, so it's lighter than their rosés um, because they have a Pinot Noir rosé as well, and that's that's kind of a a little bit deeper of a red. But they're very similar in color, so it's 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 just such an interesting kind of concept. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they also have a Gamay rosé, which is kind of like a more of a deeper red. And so the Pinot Noir rosé, because it's a lighter grape, kind of a pink, the Gamay rosé is like a, a transparent red. And then the white Pinot Noir is like a blush color. So huh. it's really kind of cool, the kind of varieties that they have. And then they have a wine, which is a blend of the white Pinot Noir and the Pinot Gris grape. And it's called Your Long Weekend. And so it's this kind of balance between the dichotomy between the Pinot Noir and the Pinot Gris. And I don't know if they did it on purpose because of the namesake or yeah, if because yeah. they found that was the best balance. But super interesting. Okanagan, obviously, well known for the Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris grapes. Yes. So it's kind of an homage to that as well, hmm. which is really cool. Wow. Um, they, they have a couple sparklings. Um, they've got a beautiful Pinot Noir of its own. Um, they also have a Pinot Noir ice wine, Ooh. which is quite interesting because not a lot of places do ice wine with Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoy that. They have uh, Pinot Gamay Blend Sparkling wine, oh, wow. which is quite nice. Another wine that they have is a Skin Contact Pinot Gris. So it's kind of similar to the idea of making wines the incorrect way mm -hmm. uh, or, or the opposite way. And so this one is they take the Pinot Gris and they, they let it sit on the skins for a little bit. And they haven't done it so long that it turns into what would be, quote, an orange wine. Huh. Um, but it is kind of the same process as doing that. Right. Uh, and it, it kind of looks cloudy, which is cool. It's wow. called the Smokes, Smoke and Mirrors. Um, I haven't had a chance to try this, but I think it's a really cool idea. I really want to try it. Um, they'd say it has, uh, geared down citrus and mandarin orange aroma, Ooh. uh, and it's left on the skins to drive color structure and allow the smooth body. So, uh, my understanding is if they were to do this for longer and kind of make a white wine, like a red wine, yeah. uh, it would be what's called an orange wine. So I'm really curious if you were to age this wine, if it would kind of settle into that orange color, which a lot oh. of them do at that time. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I guess I, I'll just I've, have to grab one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, um, I heard one time that if you, that all wine kind of regresses to orange. So if you oh. age a red wine for a long time, it'll lose its color and kind of blend more towards an orange color. And really? if you age a white wine, it'll kind of gain color and age towards an orange color. It's so very, yeah. <laughs> I don't know the truth of that, but I was watching on some wine show. So I took it as a fact and I ran with it. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. I looking at their shop list right now, it doesn't appear that they have quite as many um, as I've tasted in the past. I don't know if that's just because they're sold out or because they've shifted kind of where they're going. I've had uh Gors demeanor from them. I've had uh you know Pinot Gris, but I don't see that on the shop list right now, so I'm not entirely sure what's happening there, but I imagine with their experimental nature, maybe they're transitioning to different varietals or trying different things with these wines and they hmm. could be released soon for the next vintage. So yeah. 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 So um, as of as it is right now, um, Scott and Alana, the kids are doing the bulk of the running of the establishment. Um, Alex and Louise are still involved, but uh, with Alana being the winemaker 
and Scott is the manager of the building. Um, it stayed within the family, and they're still kind of going strong with it, and it's really an exciting place, especially being organic. Now, as I mentioned, they, they have stayed quite small, so small, in fact, that you can get them around some liquor stores and some restaurants in the interior, but in the Vancouver area, there's only four places you can get it. And three of them are the meat locations. So meat on Main, meat in Yaletown, meat in Gastown, because it is a vegan-friendly wine. So huh. they serve that as a local option. And then there is uh, Aphrodite's Organic Cafe on West 4th. Oh, wow. So interestingly, there's only four places, and they're all like um, restaurants that you would get them at. And you can't get them at any liquor store in Vancouver area. Certainly not, not even any list, in listed places in on the island that you can get them. But mm-hmm. if you wanted to find them in a liquor store, it's it's going to be in the interior. So, hmm. yeah. I love um, that. Love that. It just makes every, it so, Yeah, like, every special. time I've been there, yeah, every time I've been there, it's, it's just been such a great experience. Um, the it, the winery itself is quite easy to miss uh, because it isn't big and flashy. And then just down the hill, you've got Mount Boucherie and you've got um, Volcanic Hills, which take up a lot of kind of visual components of of the road that you're on. However, because they're substantially up the hill from those two, you can see right over them and you still get a great view of the, the scenery. So it's definitely worth a visit. Mm-hmm. Um, expect to go in and expect to have a great tasting. Um, they don't have any food, but, they, but they do sell uh, a wine based hot sauce and what? a white and a wine based uh, jelly. Wow. Like, um, so they have they have a, a wine based hot sauce, a Pinot Noir rose wine syrup, which I have no idea what to expect of that. I imagine it's kind of like a maple syrup. Yeah, I, I guess. And then they and then they have wine jelly, which is uh, Pinot Noir rose uh, jalapeno, Pinot Noir rose jalapeno, and Gamay Noir Oof. made into a jelly. And I've had that, and it is very good. And very interesting. There's nothing quite like it. Wow. That I can ex- figure out how to explain it. <laughs> yeah. And it looks like they've just recently updated their a lot of their labels to, to be very kind of more artsy, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, cool. Uh, so if you are wanting to go check out Beaumont Family Estate, best way to do it is to go right up to the winery itself. And it's located at 2775 Boucherie Road in Kelowna, BC. It's just up the hill from the 97 in West Kelowna. Beautiful. What an awesome area as well. Yeah. Well, that about wraps it up for this leg of our journey. Taste BC Radio is recorded, edited, and produced by Jeff Wilson and me, Dan Kavanaugh. You can continue the journey and check out everywhere we talked about today in the show notes and our Taste BC map. Make sure to follow us at Taste BC Radio on Instagram and Facebook, and we'd love to have you join our community on Patreon. If you want to follow along with the beers that we're tasting, join us on Untapped, and you can request to be our friend with links in the show notes. Tune in next time to find out what we will be tasting next. And never miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast app. In the meantime, make sure to rate and review the show. This really helps us grow and we really do appreciate the feedback. Until next time, support local and keep it tasty. I was very excited to be able to uh, join you to try out the shaft flights at Moon Underwater that we talked about last episode. Oh, we yes, we did. We kind of touched on them, didn't we? Yeah. I didn't just take away your what you've been tasting today. <laughs> uh you did actually. <laughs> oh no. Okay, we can we can cut that out. Cuz I was going to I was going to talk a little bit about like the history of Shaft, the Shaft flights cuz we just tasted them and like I was going to reflect back on that. Anyway, yeah, so
That's so funny. Okay, I'll I'll take that out. Don't worry. Uh, 